And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. And welcome once again to another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. A lot of things to get to today, as is usually the case now. There is no off-season in college football. It truly is a 12-month-a-year deal, and our first guest today knows that as well as anybody. Uh, you know him as Mr. College Football, and uh, quite frankly, I'm embarrassed we haven't had him on sooner, but I've had the chance to work with Tony Barnhart before on radio and glad that he's been uh, able to carve out some time today. Tony, how have you been? Well, Guys, I've been okay. It, it was uh, it was a season unlike any other we've ever gone through. Hope we don't have to do it again. Uh, glad that we got through it. Glad we, we crowned a champion. Uh, and all things considered, I thought I thought it was a great success. But like I said, I hope we don't have to go through that again. I want to get everybody up to speed first of all on on specifically what you're doing because, like so many of us in this business, it, it it's changing it's it's always uh, dynamic in terms of uh one minute you're doing this on this station the other minute you're doing that I, again i had the fortune uh, for those that don't know in atlanta there was a station 790 the zone and around the time that i first moved here i uh, got a chance to do some midday shows and then every now and then i would fill in with you guys there was a show barnhart and durham of course wes yep. has gone on <clears throat> to do uh, a lot of things in, in tv as well as doing falcon games and what I loved about that show, Atlanta is such a huge college football, I call it the Mecca, and, but yet there was not a, a 100% college football radio show in this market. You Correct. guys started it. It was a pleasure for me because all three of us were doing a million different things, so we'd, we'd you know, kind of rotate a bit, and I'd fill in here and there. Um, but it was, so, it was such a pleasure for me to be able to sit there and work with you and pick your brain and just talk college football for three hours. So my first question is, A, how much do you miss that show? And B, tell everybody out there specifically what you're doing now, because you, like a lot of us, you've juggled a lot of different balls in the air. Right. Well, as far as the the Barnhart and Durham show, uh, you know, I, I always tell Mark Packer, I said, before there was a Packer in Durham, there was a Barnhart in Durham. So always, <laughs> right. always remember that. Yep. Uh Wes and I have been friends for a long, long time before we ever started working together. Mm -hmm. When the opportunity came to do that show, you know, one of the things we discovered is that between Wes and myself, we knew everybody. I mean, I'm not saying not almost everybody. We knew everybody. We had both leagues covered, the SEC and the ACC, and we had more fun then well, you were part of it, Mike. You under, you you know how much fun we had doing those last, yeah. Uh, and uh, we would get to the end of the show and we'd play our theme song, which was called "Mama's Drinking Liquor Again," <laughs> uh, King Tyrone and the Graveyard Ramblers. And when you got some, <laughs> when you got that as your as your bumper music in the last segment, you can't go wrong. So right. I, I miss it a lot. Uh, I, I do I do catch my man Durham with uh, Mark Packer. But we had a tremendous amount of fun. And as far as now concerns, home base, this is the seventh year that home base is uh, the SEC network. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do a lot of different things for them when I when, when I ask. I'm sort of a utility player that waits waits to get put in the game. Mm -hmm. So for Paul Feinbaum now, now and then. Mm -hmm. uh, and I get a chance to work with incredible people there. And so that that's the home base. That's the main job. And uh, several years ago, my wife said, could, could you cut it down to like three jobs? Could you do that? Because I was, you know, like you, we were, I was doing everything. Right. And so now it's the SEC network. Uh, and I, I write for a website called uh, TMGCollegeSports.com, which is under the Sports Illustrated umbrella. Mm -hmm. uh, me and three of my former veteran newspaper buddies put that together about three years ago. And he gives us a home base to write and all that, and we have a we have a blast uh, doing that. So between the you know there wasn't as much local radio work for me because of the of COVID, and everybody was having to you know watch their pennies and stuff like that. So we hope that's coming back. But uh, let's just put it this way: I'm I'm as busy as I want to be. Let's put yeah, it yeah. I, I think I think we all try to find that work 
home life balance in life. And, and this business for all of us is such a temptress. We don't know how to say no to a lot of things. Yeah, I, You try to find that sweet spot. I, I, it took me a while to find it. Uh, it sounds like you have found it as well. I, I know you've done TV, you've done radio, but, but you're still a, a, a scribe at the heart of it, right? I mean, you still... Um, I will, I will always be an old newspaper guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm an, old, I'm an old newspaper guy that got into radio and television because people said you need to have more than one tool in your toolbox. Right. And that's that's how I got into it. and <clears throat> Had a lot of good things come my way, and I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's about the written word. And, and I, 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 I think that never leaves a writer's blood. Uh, and what, what one of the things we talked about in the off season. And this was an off season like no other. And of course it was a season like no other. And we'll get to that in a second, but I was, you, you know, all the, the premier writers and we've had a lot of them on this podcast. You guys are all part of a fraternity. Um, what amazed me, it's, I I'm glad that everybody had an opinion and a strong opinion at that. And uh, what it amazed me is how many of the quote unquote national college football writers, and again, it's not like the NFL where there's a thousand of them. There's there's a couple of dozen maybe that we all know who they are. I follow them on Twitter. I, I respect their ability. But so many of them bombarded us with there shouldn't be a football season this year. Yeah. And while I respect that viewpoint and I understand the viewpoint, I think for a lot of college football fans, it got to be a little bit almost to the point of being annoying where it's like we, we understand that's your opinion. But that doesn't speak for everybody. And why don't we let this play out and figure out a, a way that we can problem solve and get a season in? As you sat there, and, and I'm sure you were able to uh, get your opinions th- throughout in your own uh, venues, as you watched a lot of your cohorts and their take on it, what was your overall impression of A, the situation, and B, how it was covered? Well, as far as the situation goes, I'm, I'm- – you know, I'm talking to a lot of people. I'm talking to uh, particularly athletic directors. I would try to talk to Commissioner Greg, Greg Sankey of the SEC about once a month, if not more. And I, I just came away from those conversations convinced that we had to try, okay? Uh, I think it's the role of the people who run college football, those of it, is to uh, talk to the smartest people you can find come up with a plan. Will this plan work? And if it will work, if, if, if the best people we talk to tell us it can work, then you have to try. Now, as far as what other people said, I totally respected their position because their position was basically at the end of the day, it's college football. Okay. No, you know, is there money involved? Is it? Yeah, sure. None of us are going to be naive about that. But the attitude there, as I understood it was, it's just not worth the risk, however small the risk is. My position, and of course, my position was impacted by the conversations I'm having with people in the SEC, was there is a there is such a thing as a manageable risk, as a risk that is uh, to the point where it is it is worth taking. And I just based on the conversations I had, I just felt like the risk was worth taking, and that the players, particularly the players in the South, they wanted to play. I mean, people forget, Mike, that, you know, the narrative for there a while in the summer was, you know, the the, uh, players don't want to play and they're more the the social justice issues, which are very important and all that. And the trend was really going, the players sort of saying they don't want to play. The reality is, is you get, you know, Trevor Lawrence and others, Justin get together Fields. and say, yeah, and Justin Fields saying, no, 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 you guys got it, you got it all wrong. We want to play. We 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 trust the people that run our schools, that run our conferences, and all that, and we want to play. So I think ultimately that's where I came down is that the players, for the most part, wanted to play. Those who didn't had mm-hmm. could opt out, and we certainly respect that. But I just think what well, Greg Sankey told me is, Tony. If we can put together the plan and we talk to the smartest people we can find and they tell us this is an acceptable risk that can be managed, then we owe it to them. We owe it to the players to try. Could it fail? Sure, it could fail. But uh, guess what? It didn't. 
No, it, it didn't. And, and you hit on the key points. Um, and, and this is and JC and I've talked about this on this podcast. There are some people that cover the sport from through the prism of, I mean, almost every take is through the prism of these young men are victims of a bad system and they're being exploited. And this is another case where they're being dragged against their will to participate in mm-hmm. precarious times. And that just wasn't the reality. Most of the players did want to play. The coaches were at a, who are at a much higher risk because of their age, they wanted to coach. And of course, us in the media, many of us wanted to work. So <laughs> I think yeah. they just misread the room on that. In, in, the, in the rush to tell everybody how bad a deal college athletes have it, I, I thought the coverage was a, a little bit slanted by some. Well, and, and, and as I told, as I've told other people, I understand their point of view. I respect their point of view. I just don't happen to agree with it based right. on, based on my experience, based on the people that, that I talked to. And so, uh, you know, as it turned out, uh, the big 10 and the PAC 12 who, who bolted on August 11th, who thought other schools, other conferences would follow. It turned out, they looked around and says, well, maybe this is, maybe this is manageable after all. Yeah. And they got back in. So, yeah, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from and I understand where people who felt that way, but that just simply wasn't my experience like, right. at the end of the day. You mentioned Greg Sankey and, I, and I'll, I'll uh, throw one out on, on this front. And I know we've got, uh, you're talking about three guys here that have been knee deep in SEC, uh, but we cover all conferences on, on this podcast and, and I'm not, I'm not going to pile on, Kevin Warren, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12, how that was handled. It, it is what it is, and, and history will treat it as such. But one thing I do think, whether you're an SEC fan or not, you watch the way Greg Sankey handled this from Jump Street. Uh, to me, he emerged at the summit mm-hmm. of leadership in college football. I know we don't have the czar like Tim Brando has talked about on, on this podcast and others. Um, we don't have a true commissioner of college football in general. But it seemed to me they were all looking in Bur- to Birmingham to see how is Greg Sankey going to handle this? No, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Because, first of all, he's the commissioner of the SEC. That carries its own weight. And then you've got the leadership skills. Greg Sankey, you know, I've worked with uh, four different SEC commissioners in my time. And, uh, you know, Mike Slive and, and Roy Kramer were the great visionaries. Uh, Greg Sankey... Uh, is the intellect. He is one of the most well-read people you will ever meet. And, and, and when it comes to leadership and management, if there's been a book written about it, he's read it. And he brought all of those tools and all of those skills into this. And he says, look, you know, you've got to surround yourself with the smartest people. Do what they tell you to do. And then he said, and they started working on their plan back in May to make this thing work and how they were going to structure it. And so I don't think there's anybody who could argue that, that, that this was a, a great moment for the SEC and Greg Sankey. And if there were going to be a commissioner, overall commissioner, he would be the choice hands down. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it would be even close. Um, okay, so we get to the season. And it was not without issues, as we knew it would be. Mm-hmm. There was nothing ideal about it. I can tell you, uh, from my standpoint, going to college campuses and calling games – where, for example, I'll just throw one out there, the swamp, and you're mm-hmm. used to calling games in front of 90,000 people, and there's about eight to 10. Um, everything was just, it felt off, but I was, I made a pact with myself. I wasn't going to complain about it because I was just happy we had football. Uh, I think the bigger thing, if there is an issue with college football right now, it has nothing to do with COVID. It has to do with the predictability of the sport, the lack of diversity of teams competing every year. Uh, I get it. Like we like the dynasty, Alabama in a, in a vacuum is not the problem, but it's the same five teams, six teams competing for the playoffs every year. Do you think that changes? And if so, how? Well, I think, I think there's no question. And I just, I'll just take myself as an example. I've been a 14 playoff guy since the very beginning. I was concerned that any expansion uh, would impact the regular season, which is the best of any sport anywhere in college football. Now, having been through this and having yet another season where the, uh, the, the usual suspects are there, uh, I wrote a column late in the year saying it's time for us to have a serious 
discussion about an 18 playoff. And there, there are two reasons why. One, one is what you said, the, the same suspects again and again and again. But there are two, there are two, two more things that are going on in, in right now. And one is the fact that uh, with, fewer, with only four teams in the playoffs, there's all these players who are not engaged in the end of the year, who have no interest in playing in bowl games and who have no interest in sticking around. And so they're opting out. Uh, that I think that is a really big issue. And the other issue is, you know, I like, like your man, JC, I don't really follow recruiting, but I know this, I can look at a piece of paper and see that the same five schools are getting a lion's percentage of the five-star and four-star athletes again and again and again. And why? Because if I'm an elite athlete, I want to go to a school where they're going to get into the college football playoff. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. And so that, I think the schools that, that we mentioned now, it's sort of like the incumbency in politics. There's a built-in advantage to being an incumbent in politics. Well, there's a built-in advantage to being one of those select four or five teams. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think we at least have to have a discussion about an 18 playoffs to open it up to more people. I agree completely. And and like you, Tony, I've always been a four-team playoff guy. I, I've thought, you know, we, the only times we've had issues in crowning champions with the BCS and the Bowl Alliance and all that, which which quite frankly were fun and part of what made the sport good, uh, one more game would have solved it. You know, one mm-hmm. more game would have always solved it. Uh, you know, Auburn in 2004, if they'd have gotten to play USC, that would have that would have solved it. You know, we wouldn't have had – we would have crowned. We would be crowning true champions. But you look at it. Okay, there have been. You know, we're, we're this was year seven of the playoff, uh, and I was sitting there sketching this out while you guys were having a conversation. Uh, there's only been 11 schools to make the playoff and 28 spots. Okay, right. of those 11 schools, only one, two, three, five have made more than one, right. uh, more than one and done. So, so you've got six, 12, 16, 18, 22. There's 22 of the 28 spots have been taken up by Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. And, right. and, and even taking Notre Dame out of it, you got basically Oklahoma, which has won 13 Big 12 titles since 2000, Clemson, which dominates the ACC, Ohio State, which dominates the Big Ten, and then, of course, Alabama, which is probably a dynasty type of situation we won't see again in our lifetime. So – I think, you know, that squeezes a lot of great programs. You you look at the Cotton Bowl this year between Oklahoma and Florida, you know, a heck of a bowl game. You know, the Cotton Bowl uh, is a game people should care about. Well, Florida shows up with half their team, you know, and and gets just just wrecked. And that that type of stuff kind of gets me. And, and I you know, I think unless unless they're going to do something radical like push the four-team playoff back like to, to where it's after the bowls. Like in other words, everybody plays the bowls and then, you know, you pick the best four, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't be totally against. I don't know if that's possible. Uh, then I think you got to go to eight. And, and I, I think at, at the very least, and, and I'm like you, Tony, I'm, I'm surprised I'm even saying it because I, I didn't anticipate it having this big of an impact and you're right. It does impact recruiting. There are teams that, that if you're not a consistent playoff team, you really just, you know, you're going to struggle to land uh, those elite guys. I mean, I, I think that, you know, certain schools still recruit well. Georgia, uh, for example, has only been to one playoff. But think about how much that's helped their recruiting and their sure. ability to now go across the country, not just in the state of Georgia, to attract players. So uh, I, I think that's definitely something that we all, all of us that care about the sport, have to kind of, uh, you know, consider. Uh, and like like you, I'm, I'm surprised I feel that way, but after – the last seven years, you can kind of see it narrowing and, uh, and what we're up against if we don't do it. Well, and the other thing is, is that, you know, people are going to say, well, we're having blowouts now at four teams and what we have more. Well, we probably will, but that's not the point. The, the point is not the, the games on the fit. The hope is that more and more teams get the elite athletes and there will come a time when that one versus eight matchup is going to be very competitive. The issues that we're dealing with are not really the game on the field. It's the people who play the game. And the, the fact that the thing that you just pointed out, JC, that 22 of the 28 bids in seven years have gone to five schools. I, you know, 
my math skills are not very good, but <laughs> even I can tell that that's, that's not good for the sport. Something else that might not be good for the sport, although I, I think we've almost become so callous and immune to it, is how quickly we fire coaches now. We yeah, just yeah. went through another round of four in the SEC. That's eight coaches have been fired in two years, including four in the era of COVID, when a lot of people thought, well, no one's going to pay out ridiculous buyouts during a time frame where schools just lost a bunch of money. Yep. So, I mean, is this just the new reality? Should we all just accept the fact that we're going to see more and more coaches fired after two, three, four years, and there's just going to be constant turnover, especially in the power leagues and especially in, in the most supreme league in college football, the SEC? I, I was one of those. I was one of those guys that said, "No, I mean, we're not going to have much of a hot seat this year because right. a just getting through a ten-game schedule will be a tremendous accomplishment in the COVID era, and b nobody has any money. Everybody's everybody lost on the average of about fifty million dollars this year alone. But but you know, then Auburn writes a check for twenty-one million dollars to fire Gus Malzahn. I said, well, and now we've had four different coaching changes. I, I'm afraid, Mike, we're going to have to live with it because people want to win." And when they want to change coaches, they magically find a way to pay those buyouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I promise you the $21 million that went to Gus Malzahn did not come from the athletic department budget. I, I feel <laughs> yeah. very confident in saying that. Yeah, they, they've got some uh, premier blue. I, I, I learned a lot about Yellowwood following that story that I, I didn't know. <laughs> I've never even purchased the product. Um, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. It's. I made the comment I was on with uh, New Heisel yesterday on Sirius XM, and I made the comment, Tennessee, for, for people in the media over the last 10, 11, 12 years during this offseason, which used to be kind of a dull time where you'd have to fill three hours, what have you, they are like the Clark Griswold getting his uh, Christmas gift. He thought he was going to get a bonus. Instead, it was the uh, – membership to the jelly of the month club and cousin Eddie (laughs) says to a despondent Clark Clark that's the gift that keeps on giving all year well that's what Tennessee football has been to anybody who's trying to find content for college football during the offseason Tennessee always gives you something to talk about it might not be good but it is something I mean it wasn't that long ago this was a premier program winning SEC championships winning a national title and to see it go from that to this, how hard is that to compute? Think about this, guys. In 2007, Tennessee played LSU for the SEC championship. They led 14 to 13 deep into that game, into the fourth quarter. A couple of bad throws, uh, and they lose the game to LSU, and LSU goes on to win the national championship. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered, had it Tennessee won that game and given Philip Fulmer another SEC championship, would things have been different? Well, they weren't. Who was the quarterback for Tennessee in that game? I think it was Eric Ainge. It was Eric Ainge. Wow. It was Eric Ainge. And I promise you, he made a couple of throws he wasn't supposed to make. Let's just put it that way. Uh, And so, but it didn't turn out the way. And now they've been in the football wilderness uh, for 11, uh, 12 years. Tennessee, Tennessee's issue is really not that it's hard to do, but it's not hard to explain Tennessee. And Mike, you know, this from your travels and JC, you know, this from recruiting, uh, Tennessee does not have a huge base of recruiting in the state. You got to get on a plane and go somewhere. And that's what Philip Fulmer and his staff did. They recruited every, and they recruited Georgia exceedingly well. Well, guess what? You're not going to do that now. All right. They recruited Alabama. Well, well, you're not going to do that now. You're not even going to recruit North Carolina and South Carolina. Well, well, because uh, Dabo Swinney is locked down South Carolina and Mac Brown is locking up North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one of the big issues. The second issue at Tennessee is they have not recruited and developed an elite quarterback in a decade, Mm -hmm. not even close. And that's been an issue for them and still will be the issue with Josh Heupel uh, moving forward. And so, and it's just, uh, it has been a very, very difficult stretch. And uh, they've got, the Tennessee fans don't have patience. I understand that. But to dig out of this hole, they're going to have to have some patience. It, it's yeah. It's been a series of like one domino hitting another of bad decision, bad decision, bad hire, et cetera, et cetera. And to your point on the quarterbacks, I mean, for a while you could have made the same point 
going on in Gainesville when it was Will Muschamp and when it was uh, uh, I, I just thought of the shark, the picture of him and the shark. McElwain. Jim <laughs> McElwain, yes. That's, that's just terrible. Whoever whoever came up with that actually sketched that in my brain. But but they never, you know, they couldn't find a quarterback and they didn't develop a quarterback. And and all of a sudden the fun and gun turned into just a, a an anemic offense. And, and now with Dan Mullen and, you know, they struck goal with Kyle Trask, et cetera. And going back to Tennessee, you know, one of the, one of the, press reporters there I think it was a local guy asked you know are you going to put a wall up around the state of Tennessee in recruiting and I felt like saying that's not the problem mm-hmm. <laughs> Tennessee has to recruit elsewhere you have to get a Jamal Lewis out of Atlanta they have to get a kid out of California they have to recruit nationally and that's always going to be uh, the hardest part of that job now the hardest part of course to you know pile on is that you probably have NCAA sanctions coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. You've got all types of financial issues that you that you have to overcome, and really just a toxic situation that's been going on there for a while. You've, you've got to earn the respect of the fans back, quite frankly, the way everything. Sure, and, that, and that's why, listen, ultimately Danny White had three choices when he got ready to hire a new football coach. One was to go out and get somebody else's proven Division One Power Five head coach. As soon as the chancellor at Tennessee talked about the stunning amount of NCAA violations that were in her program, as soon as she mentioned this, that option was off the table. No Power Five, successful Power Five coach was going to come. All right, number two, you could have given the job to Kevin Steele, who's already in the staff, let him have it for a year, see what the market looks like. Uh, at the end of the 2021 season, or you could do what he did, which was dip down into the group of five level, find a guy who's been successful, find a guy who has exceptional uh, skills on offense to move the ball, because the way the game has changed now, guys, just just look at Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. They were five and five this year. You would have thought they were 10 and two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they were they played an exciting brand of football. They ran up 600 yards against Alabama, and they lost the game, but it felt like a win. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to win all your games, then you darn sure better entertain us. Right, right. I, and I'll say, just to add to this, guys, to back up, um, the reporter that mentioned building a wall around Tennessee. Now, the Nashville area is sort of – you know, grown and, and you do have players in Memphis. And that's part of the problem is that Nashville and Memphis are a little bit far from East Tennessee and Knoxville. Uh, but, but they're having problems there too. And, and again, you said not to pile on, this is not to pile on either, but you look at the top seven class of 2021 prospects in the state of Tennessee, all rated four stars or higher. I think it goes down to the top, t- the top 10. So out of the top 10, nine of the top 10 are committed um, they're going to Georgia, North Carolina, Ole Miss. Two are going to Clemson, one to Ohio State, one to Notre Dame, and one to Michigan. Tennessee's getting one of the top ten in their own state. And this was before uh, all the problems happened with uh, with the, the, the violations and stuff. So the, 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 it, they still have to go national. You guys are absolutely right. But it's, not, it's a little better than it used to be. And even at that, uh, they're struggling as a program. Uh, to keep their state from hemorrhaging players. And that that's, you know, even if you're, you're Arkansas and you got five to 10 a year, you need to keep those five or 10 in state mm-hmm. anywhere in the SEC. I don't care who you are. Um, and, and so that's another problem uh, as well. You also mentioned quarterback, you know, even guys that we thought were promising, you know, Josh Dobbs had a really good uh, freshman, sophomore, freshman, sophomore campaign. And I remember we all thought he was he was on his way. I know Josh a little bit. Great kid, wants to be an astronaut, you know. And and, and for some reason he just didn't get any better. He's kind of the same guy uh, there at the end. And then they've had the the Garantano era and just all kinds of mess. Garantano spot too. Get better. Yeah, they, and at that spot too, you know, you, you look at it and it's not like they haven't gotten some highly rated guys. They just haven't panned out. So uh, there are issues there in some very important parts of that program and um, we'll see what happened. I'll add one more history thing, Tony, and, and see if you remember this. How about in 2001, had they not lost to Rohan Davey and Matt Mock and LSU yeah. and Nick Saban <laughs> and gone to play, they could have maybe hung with that Miami team out at the Rose Bowl, in my opinion. And what if, they, was... 
What if they would have won I, another one, you know? No, no, I remember that game really well. When when, Ro, when Rohan Davey gets hurt and they put in, it was a Matt Mock. Matt Mock. Matt Mock. I'm going like, who is Matt Mock? <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Well, he, he turned out to be the SEC champion. Boy. Yeah. yeah. Ran all over him. That's the same Tennessee team that beat Steve Spurrier's most prolific offensive team in 01, ran yep. all over them in the swamp. Of course, it was a rescheduled game due to 9-11. Uh, but if you could beat that that Florida team on the road, there's no reason to think that Tennessee couldn't play with anybody had they made it to the championship game against Miami. Uh, exactly, a lot of exactly right. Let me ask you one more specific team, Tony, and, that, and that's Georgia. Of course, you, you and I are in Atlanta. Uh, I, I know, obviously, you you are very familiar with that program in, in several ways. I, I think Kirby Smart has got a little bit of a dilemma because of his success that he that he had so early. So, yep. you know, when Mark Richt had a, had a very solid tenure in Athens, but at some point the fans get a little uh, anxious and a little greedy and they want more. And so they exit – Mark Rick uh, stage left and Kirby, who was being courted heavily by South Carolina. Um, they, they knew that they were going to win on that battle. It's his alma mater. They get Kirby smart within a couple of years. Kirby smarts got him playing for sec championships and national championships. And so the Georgia fans that I talk to here, <laughs> I, they don't get to the playoff. Now they feel like it's a disappointing year. So he has set the bar to a point where it, it's almost like he's cursed by that early success. Well, that happens a lot in coaching. You know, I, I remember Terry Bowden once telling me he went, he goes undefeated his first year at Auburn. They're on probation. Right. He said, man, I should never have gone undefeated that first year. <laughs> <laughs> it was, a, but here's the thing it, you have to view. I tell my, listen, I hear from all those Georgia people that you hear from. A lot of them are in my family. Uh, I said, what you have to understand, you have to look at the totality of him, what he's done in Athens. He is, He's, he played for a national – he's one play away from a national championship in his second year. He wins a Rose Bowl, one of the great games you'll ever see, doing it with that team, and go on the road and beat Notre Dame. And all the things that, that he did, he's beaten Notre Dame twice. He's been there five years. He's played in three SEC championship games. He's won one of them and should have won another one against uh, Alabama. So I've always believed that coaches – I will, if you're my coach and I'm a fan of your team, you don't have to win it. I want you knocking on the door. I want you to be in the conversation just about every year. And I think, I think, you know, I think Kirby Smart has uh, done that. This was an unusual year uh, because it took them to the end of the year to find their quarterback and for the quarterback to be ready to go. But it's funny. Once, once the quarterback was ready to go, it's amazing how open those receivers got. <laughs> yeah. Because they were excited because they knew they knew that guy was going to get on the ball. And now uh, they've signed a five-star quarterback and heard yesterday that they've gotten a commitment in 2022 from another five-star quarterback. Yes. If I'm a Georgia fan, I'm kind of looking forward to the future. Yeah, and look at this too. Like the SEC East, Tony – Kirby Smart's won three three straight divisions, 17, 18, and 19. Nobody had won the SEC East – three times in a row since Steve Spurrier, I think mm-hmm. it was 90 when he won what six in a row at Florida. So that that's historic. Um, three sec East an sec championship and a play away from a national title 52 and 14 in five years. That is a stellar record. If you really look at the totality of it, you mentioned Vandergriff, the one five-star quarterback they have committed Gunnar Stockton, who is a, a different type of quarterback than Vandergriff, maybe more of a running and throwing type of guy from Rabin County, Georgia, committed to him yesterday. Uh, that position has gone from, you know, we're starting to walk on to, wow, you know, because JT Daniels, when he was a – he came out early. He graduated high school early. Right. But when he was a high school junior, had he come back that next year and played high school football, he was going to be the number one overall player in the country for whatever that means. Um, got hurt at Southern Cal, got beat out because they started running an air raid. He's more of a pro-style quarterback. Uh, that guy, it's not like he's chopped liver. And, and so if you're looking for the X factor with Georgia and, and look at how he played down the stretch and, and, and then moving forward, you know that situation all of a sudden becomes very, very positive. And sometimes that's what can get you when you have all this success, in my opinion, from, well, we're, we're, we win the division a lot to we're playing for national titles a lot. 
You just you got you got to be able to knock on the door. And you, yeah. you, there's a there's a lot of schools that would love to have won three straight divisions. And you know, I understand if you're a fan, you want them to break through and win the win the SEC championship and be in the playoffs. I totally understand. But you know, look at what Kirby Smart has done in recruiting. Now they are I don't know how many top five, top three classes they've got in a row, but it's a bunch. And that's how you build that's how Nick Saban built Alabama with class after class after class. So that when you have a, when you lose a player, you know, when you lose a Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith steps in. That's the goal. I think a lot of the criticism of Kirby is ridiculous. I do think part of it comes from just how painful the loss is. For example, how many programs will be associated with a down and distance? But when you think of George and Kirby, you think of second and 26, right? Yep. You, you think of, double-digit leads multiple times at the half against Alabama and then losing the game. You know, the, you, you think of the, the the fake punt call in the SEC championship game a couple of years ago where you did, that was a head-scratcher. It, it's the way um, – yeah. and, and so I, I get the frustration, but if you step back and look at it, 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 be happy with what you have with Kirby Smart. Look at what's going on around the SEC where everybody's firing coaches every few years and – and just be happy with with what you got, uh, and, and they're going to be a prohibitive favorite to win the East, I would think, in twenty twenty one. Wrapping things up with Tony Barnhart, I, I want to throw a few quick hitters at you, if I might, Tony. Um, favorite coach you've covered since your time covering college football? Oh, it's 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 got to be Steve Spurrier uh, yeah. because it, not only the admiration for what he did, winning six SEC championships at Florida a national championship. He was a coach that I could pick up the phone and call at any time and just, just to talk. And I would do that during the, uh, I would do that during the off season. And uh, he, he was, uh, he was candid. I liked that about him. And uh, I remember I called, I called him one time in like before national signing day. And he said, and this is when he's at South Carolina. He said, Tony, we're going to do something at South Carolina that I never did at Florida. I said, what's that coach? He said, we're going to sign a player from the state of Alabama. He said, <laughs> he said you know, when I was at Florida, I never could sign a, a player from the state of Alabama. He said, now, now we found out later them scholarships that Alabama was given was worth a lot more than our scholarship. <laughs> I, said, I said, coach, I said, can I write that? He said, yeah, go ahead and write that. Oh, uh, I mean, he, the quips, the quips are just priceless, uh, just priceless. And, and, you know, people talk about Duke and obviously you, you win an ACC championship at Duke and that's, that speaks for itself, but as good as he was at Florida to, to then double down and take South Carolina to Heights to, to mm -hmm. place they've never been before and, and might not go again anytime soon. When you're talking about three consecutive 11 win seasons, beating Clemson five years in a row, that, that to me cemented him on the Mount Rushmore if he wasn't already there. And people look at a Lane Kiffin or somebody like that, and they're like, oh, there's a guy who's entertaining and's got swag. And I'm sorry, but Lane Kiffin's got nothing on Steve Spurrier in his prime. Like Steve, people love to hate him. Uh, I my favorite nickname for Steve was the Evil Genius, which a mm -hmm. lot of SEC fans used. But man, I'll be damned if people don't miss him now that he's gone. No. You know. Well, you always ask those people that says, as much as you hate him, if he would be your coach tomorrow, would you oh, take yeah. him? And they say in a minute. In a minute. In a minute, no doubt. I'll, I'll tell one more quick story on, on Spurrier. I remember when I was working in Columbia and Spurrier was the coach, and a friend of mine said, Mike, you got to go. This is before Paul Feinbaum was on TV because you got to go listen to the Feinbaum show on the internet. And so I, I log it up. I said, What? Why am I listening to this? And he said, Because all these people, he had Bill Oliver on, and Bill kind of hinted that Steve Spurrier was, that Alabama was going to poach him away from South Carolina. And, and so all these people, all these Alabama fans who hated Spurrier, they were <laughs> giddy, Tony Barnhart. They were giddy at the prospect that yep. they were going to get the old ball coach in Tuscaloosa. Now, of course, they wound up getting Saban and everything is hunky-dory, but they wanted Steve. Everybody wanted Steve oh. as much as they hated him. Um, favorite player that you've covered? I, I got to say, in, in terms of just – playing ability, character, it, it was Danny Werfel. Danny is a guy that I've gotten to know well since he quit playing. He does a, a lot of – obviously, he has Desire Street Ministries. 
Uh, I get to be, he has a banquet every year before the Georgia Florida game as a fundraiser for Desire Street. And I get, uh, he asked me to MC that. And so I built a relationship with Danny mm-hmm. and man, you just look at him and look at what he accomplished uh, in Steve Spurrier's system. Yeah. Heisman trophy, national champ, couple of sec, three championships, national championships, and just an overall incredible person. And so I'm, I've really enjoyed that relationship. Super nice guy and uh, undervalued for his toughness because they rarely ran the shotgun during Spurrier's time. And everybody's plan was, well, we can't give him time to dissect defenses. So we got to blitz the hell out of them. And they did. And he took a lot of shots, particularly against Florida state. Yep. Uh, but he would always hang in there that extra split second to hit a Redale Anthony and Ike Hillier to Jacquez green uh, class act. There's no question about it. All right. This one a little tougher, maybe. Give me a Mount Rushmore of SCC coaches, players, whatever combination that you want to put on there. Wow. Well, obviously, you you start with Bear Bryant and Nick Saban. They've got to be there. Okay. Uh, then you look at the other coaches. You know, Tennessee would tell you Bob Nealon deserves to be there. Georgia, Vince Dooley. In terms of players, for me, it's been Herschel and Bo and then everybody else. Yeah, I'm with That's you. the way that I've. I've sort of looked at and so many great players, obviously Peyton Manning uh, and on and on and on, but you, you've got to include the Steve Spurrier should be on the, after we talk about should be on the, on the Mount Rushmore, but it's, uh, uh, it's, it's quite a list. Tebow. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Just, yeah. Just, you'd have right. to have a lot of faces. I think, you know, you'd, you'd have to be like a bigger mountain I think, for the <laughs> SEC. We're going to yeah, take all could... of South Dakota and yeah, just a long wall. Like, like a mountain thing. range of all that. Well, I, I got, <laughs> I got a question for you, Tony, too. You said you're an old newspaper guy. I, I'm, I remember before I transitioned to the internet, I was the sports editor and, and sports writer for the Gainesville times at Hall County, Georgia. So I haven't been in newspapers in 17 years. There are things I miss about it, things I don't. What is the one thing you miss about how the newspaper business used to be uh, back in the day when you worked in it? And what's one thing you don't? Well, one, one thing I, I miss about it is just the excitement of, of a big uh, a, a colleague of mine at the AJC, Ed Hinton, uh, incredible writer, had a phrase that said, there's nothing bigger than an SEC game that means something. When there's something big on the line, a Tennessee, Florida, an Alabama, Auburn, it's some, you know, something, something is on the line and covering those big games and making a deadline. It wasn't, it wasn't enough to, uh, to just cover the game and get the story and you had to make a deadline and the deadline pressure was something that I really, could you do it? You're, you're testing yourself. And so I missed being in the internet. You don't have a deadline. You know? And so uh, I miss that uh, competitive aspect of it. The thing that I think that I don't miss is that, uh, unfortunately, what has happened to the newspaper business economically. Uh, I've seen a lot of friends uh, lose their jobs uh, because the the money is simply not there, and people don't people. And now people uh, they read the internet, but it, they don't take the time to read a newspaper. I still I still I've never in my life since I can remember not taking a daily newspaper and I still read one every morning with my morning cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know that, uh, that is uh, going away and I miss, I miss those days and I miss the, as, as much as a, a tool that the internet has become social media kind of divides us and splits us up and all that. And I just, uh, I miss, I miss it when things were a little bit calmer than they are right now. Uh, no, I would I would definitely second that. Um, within the next ten years, do you think the SEC would expand to sixteen teams? Oh, the key, Mike, and I've said this to everybody, is the key to expansion is what happens in the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if Tennessee and Oklahoma, Texas and Oklahoma say, "Hey, we're done," we get you know, then yeah, then the SEC would love to expand and add those two teams. But understand this, the, the, people have to understand, this is not about football programs. It's about television markets, okay? It's about how many eyeballs do you bring? Like, so why don't they Why don't they add Florida State and Clemson? Well, the honest answer is the Southeastern Conference doesn't need Florida State and Clemson because they've got the Florida market locked up and they've got the South Carolina market locked up. You, The reason that Texas A&M and Missouri – 
came in the last round of expansion is that with that one move, the SEC went from 20 million cable-ready television homes to 30 million cable-ready television homes. And that's what it's going to have to be about a market that they don't have. And so, but I'll put it this way. If Texas and Oklahoma wanted to come, I think they'd listen. But beyond that, uh, it's it's got to make financial sense. Yeah. To your point, I, I get asked a lot, you know, the question, and I know when I'm out there, it, it's still it's still growing on me to feel like Missouri is an SEC uh, territory. Uh, but people ask, well, why did, why did the SEC add Missouri? I said, because it's, it's TV footprint. I mean, it's, you just expanded your, your overall footprint. That's, it's, it's that simple in a lot of ways. It it really is. And think about this, the, the, in the latest round of figures, every school, when it comes to revenue sharing, every school in the SEC gets about $45 million, somewhere in that ballpark. Well, if you bring in two more schools, they've got to generate, let's say it's 45 million. Those two schools have got to generate an additional $90 million to pay for themselves. Because right. the first rule of college athletics is nobody's going to get less money this year than they got last year. You, you, you are so right. And that, that actually segues perfectly to my final question, which is uh, you mentioned it's 45 now. It's going to be over 60 here in mm-hmm. a couple of years with the new ESPN uh, you know, CBS slot game, if you will, taking over. I'm curious how you feel, because for a lot of years, I mean, you and I have the same address now, ESPN SEC Network, uh, and, and happy to be there. But for a lot of years, people saw your face on the CBS desk mm-hmm. every Saturday. So you were part of that uh, that grand stage that has been part of SEC culture now for a while. So when you heard the news, uh, how did you feel about it? Well, I knew it was coming three years ago. Yeah, because because the SEC looked at that Saturday afternoon national game, they were getting fifty five million dollars a year for that game. And I had SEC people come up to me and say, we believe that game is way undervalued. This is three. This is at least three years ago. Right. And they started quietly. Shopping it around and finding out. And they, what they found out is that the conversation was going to start at $300 million. And so the, the only question was, and obviously ES, only ESPN has that kind of money. And when, when would they decide to make that move? So I wasn't, I wasn't shocked by it. And ESPN, uh, they've, got a few, they've got a few dollars spent in other places right now to acquire rights. And that was, that was a little bit rich for their blood. Mm-hmm. So wasn't wasn't surprised by it, and uh, SEC feels good that they've got finally gotten the value out of the, you, you're about the SEC game of the week, not a SEC game of the week, but the what that is worth on the marketplace. Well, and and look, this is no. I, everybody at CBS has done a fantastic work on that, so oh. I would never say a negative word about anything. The coverage has been great. I'm a huge Brad Nessler fan for what it's worth. Um, and the, the, the production quality, et cetera, et cetera, I go on and on and on, but it does make sense. If you've got an SEC network in the ESPN umbrella, if you've got SEC games on ESPN, ESPN two every week, uh, and, and why would you continue to wait people? I don't know if everybody knows this, but you have a six day and a 12 day window. Mm-hmm. People wonder why you don't, you have to wait so long on the time and what station Well, because CBS has the first pick. Right. So CBS dictates in a lot of ways what ESPN and the SEC network do with their schedules and what game's going to be covered and what time and everything. Well, now you really don't have to do that. You pretty right. much own the whole kit and caboodle. You run things. Right. And you, you'll be, you'll be allowed to go ahead and schedule games. Like, like every year we get like the first two or three weeks of the season. We know right. they'll be able to schedule four five, six weeks out. Sure. Because it doesn't matter because you can move it from one ESPN platform to another ESPN platform. You don't have to, you know that you've got the game. All you've got to do is switch the platforms, which is easily done. So yeah, from a, from a uh, programming standpoint, it just makes complete sense. Yeah. I just wish we could get that theme music transported. Yeah. Yeah, I love the theme music. Brad Nestle and I've been friends for a long, long time. I have a lot of respect for him and 
Gary and Craig Silver, the producer, is a longtime friend at CBS. And I'll, and I, you know, I'll miss seeing them. I really will yeah. uh, as we go to press boxes around the country. But this was, from a business standpoint, this was pretty much inevitable. No question. No question. Uh, Tony, I can't thank you enough. Uh, we went long only because the conversation was that good. Um, I, I hope we can get together uh, in person uh, like we used to. And I said this at the top, but uh, those shows, I know I was just, you know, the third banana when I would uh, get to rotate over when uh, Wes was out and, and sit with you and, and you treated me as, as if I was one of the family. Uh, that meant a lot. Uh, I remember being on Radio Row at SEC Media Days, and it was me, you, and Wes. And I think we were the only uh, station to get Nick Saban to come and sit at our table and do <laughs> interviews. And yeah. um, it, it was just – it was a lot. It's the most fun I've had on radio, quite honestly. Uh, and, I, and I've given up doing a, a regular show. But uh, I, I can't thank you enough for that and just your, your friendship over the years and your support over the years. Mike, you got it, my friend. It's always good to be with you guys. Same here. Keep hey, up – Keep up the good work, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking about some more positive news coming down the pike next time we have you on. Let's hope so. All right, guys. Take care. Thank you, Tony. Thanks. You bet. Founders is offering a low-rate mortgage with up to 4000 in closing costs to full-time hospital employees, honoring your frontline efforts against COVID-19. With no PMI, no origination fee, and no limit on the loan amount, you can't go wrong. Visit founders.com slash HEC and apply for your hospital employee choice mortgage today. Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Institution NMLS identifier number 410646. Founders is an equal housing lender and is federally insured by the NCUA. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check them out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. Back with you on JC and Morgan. Uh, JC and I were just talking over the break. Can't can't thank Tony Barnhart enough. Um, you know, you and I are uh, about the same age and obviously younger than Tony Barnhart, but we grew up on SEC football. Yeah. And obviously the, a lot of the names have changed over the years. And as we pointed out, some of the networks have changed, but one constant has been Tony. Uh, he, he has been, yes, he's been Mr. College football, but in a lot of ways to, to many folks in these parts, he's been Mr. SEC football. So, uh, so glad that we, uh, had him on and he was uh, terrific as usual. So really, I hope you folks got a chance to listen to that whole interview. Uh, if not, tell your family and friends to go ahead and, uh, and download it and, and t- catch Tony. Cause I, I, I honestly, we both do stuff for the sec network, but I never know when Tony's on anymore. It's hard for me to keep up. Um, you know, we, we had an influx of a lot of new young guys on the studio shows and whatnot. And Gene Chizik does a great job on the postgame show. So I don't get to see Tony as much as I used to. And I always, I mean, when he's given insight on anything, I just sit there and I hang on every word because it's coming from a place of a guy that is extremely bright, extreme, extremely knowledgeable, and has been around this block for a long time. I agree. And I just, you know, the, the I, I like Tony because he, you know, he kind of, we're cut from the same cloth, even though he is, you know, he's been in it longer than I have. Cause like, I'll recall, like I, I'm sitting there just thinking exactly what he's thinking the other day about Tennessee, Mike, about like uh, when it was the Oh one game, you know, it, where they blew it against LSU. Um, and then I remember that LSU game in, in Oh um, seven when they were not the favorites. Uh, and another thing about that game, that was the game Kirk Herb street, and I, to this day, I believe Kirk's source was right uh, and that it, that it caused the deal to fall apart. Kirk Herbstreet reports Les Miles is going to Michigan the day of that game. Mm. Uh, and then LSU struggles but wins and ends up winning the national title and Les didn't go to Michigan. But, uh, you know, just moments like that and tying it all together and knowing your history. I mean, you know, all of us from the South, 
we love history, you know, <laughs> we're like, Oh, everybody needs to know the history, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I like that about him too. It's like, you know, he, he can recall dates and, and sort of look at the big picture as to why we are here, uh, at present with, with the various schools. And, um, I just have a deep appreciation for that. Well, it's context. Um, and one of the things I hear from people that uh, really appreci- appreciate from me uh, doing a lot of SEC network games is that I'm actually, I actually have an SEC background, you know, yeah. uh, an SEC graduate covered another SEC school, been doing SEC as long as I can remember, grew up on SEC football to SEC fans. That matters. Um, you can parachute a guy in some Syracuse grad, uh, and, and kind of fake it till you make it, you know, just, just go on Wikipedia and try to really study up hard. And, but P- SEC fans see through that stuff. They, yeah. they like guys that actually are ingrained in it. And, uh, storytellers. Just, yeah. 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 And I almost, when he brought up Oh seven, I never really thought of it in that context. Cause I've been busy kind of banging the drum and I'm not picking on Phil Fulmer. Phil Fulmer's a legend. And Tennessee fans should always be thankful, despite the fact that this ended about as badly as it can be, this this latest stint as an AD. But I think that people forget that Phil Fulmer wasn't just fired out of the blue. People say, well, everything was fine until they fired Fulmer. No, they had two losing seasons in his last four. It was clearly starting to dip with Phil. Um, I thought that that wasn't the mistake. You can question every move they made after they fired him, there are a lot of mistakes in there, but I, I don't think that was like, I don't think Phil Fulmer had another 10 years of doing great stuff in Knoxville. I just don't. So I, I hear that a lot from people, not Tennessee fans, but I hear it from a lot of people on the outside. Uh, and, and I'm just like, nah, that I don't, I don't think you've got that on, on target, but that's just me. Um, we, we, we've only got a few minutes left because uh, we went extended time with Tony and justifiably. So, we, we talked about this with Tony that, that, you know, the turnover in coaching JC, I, I look, you and I used to do a segment hits and misses. Right. And I'd always say, I look forward to doing the misses more than the hits. Cause a, I, I don't need to pat myself on the back for making a prediction. Right. If I was that good at making predictions then I'd be in Vegas and I wouldn't be doing this podcast, I'd be on an Island somewhere that had my name on it. And I'd be like Nick cage, just, just uh, crawling on the sand with oversized iguanas and, and drinking pina coladas and, and barking out uh, monosyllabic uh, mono, uh, uh, terms and grunting and then getting ready to do another bad movie. Um, and, but I, I will say I, I'm right on this. If I, how many times have I said the, the expectation level and the reality of a lot of SEC fan bases has been way off when it comes to coaching hires, right? Uh, it definitely is. I, I mean, I've been banging that drum, whether it's South Carolina, Auburn, Tennessee, uh, Vanderbilt in another category. And then you go to the four, you know, the four hires last year. Uh, everybody thinks they're going to get whoever the heck they want. Everybody thinks that all these coaches want their job. Tennessee's been guilty of that now several times over the last 12 years, whether it's John Gruden or somebody else. Um, you know, how many, how many times did we hear Matt Campbell was going to take this job or that job or Urban Meyer was going to take this job or that job. And then reality hits and it's Brian Harson, it's Shane Beamer and it's Josh Heupel. Now those are not the first names that any of those fan bases wanted. But that's who they got. And I think they're all solid hires, logical hires. And as I always say, it's a crapshoot. It could work. It might not work. I wouldn't be surprised either way. But reality is, just because you're in the SEC and you've got a big stadium and you've got great fans and a lot of money doesn't mean you get whoever you want. Oh, I agree completely. And you, what you need to do is make a hire that makes sense. People even forget, you know, Nick Saban getting hired at Alabama. They almost hired Rich Rodriguez. Um, it, it's a crapshoot, you know, and, and I, I think that, you know, you, you want a guy that makes sense to me. I understand, you know, I, I and I'll, I'll be honest and I've talked about this on, on this podcast for years and my other podcast and, and whatever I'm a guest, I've never been a Josh Heupel guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a reason that Oklahoma decided, you know, that's his alma mater, mad respect for him when he was a quarterback there and won a national championship. Um, 
That did not end well there. There's a reason they moved on. When you look at his stats at Missouri, yes, they led the league in total offense. Look at who those numbers were run up against. And then look at what happened when they played a team with a pulse on defense. Okay, that, that's a red flag for me. All right. And then Derek Dooley went in there and did just as good the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, luck. Same personnel, you know. And then and so then you go and uh, he goes to UCF, takes over a great situation. And and they've regressed every year he's been there. So, uh, look, my Danny White has batted a thousand with coaching hires. So maybe I'm completely off base, and 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 I'm not going to rule out the fact that elsewhere in the league, a, a new, a relatively new athletic director hired a guy that he was comfortable with from his old school, and that team, the Florida Gators, has been twenty nine and nine the last three years, um, with Strickland hiring uh, Dan Mullen. So. I'm not going to crap all over it, but if you've listened to me at all, I've never just, I've never thought, you know, somebody on Facebook the other day was like a South Carolina fan was complaining because Ray Tanner, the athletic director there hired Shane Beamer and, and then was talking about how Tennessee got one of the greatest minds in college football. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, look, man, this guy's not Steve Spurrier. Again, maybe he'll work out. I'm not, I'm not crapping on him, but, right. but man, oh man, I've, I've followed his career pretty closely as a coordinator and a head coach. And I've just never, never been all that fired up. So I don't know. He, he well, is, he is 28 and eight. So you can't, you can't argue with that as a head coach, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there, I, but I, it, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, it's a, it's a great point. I, I did this, uh, you know, yesterday on, on the show I did on Sirius XM about I can make, and I've done this with you on, on all these hires. Uh, if you want the, the good take, bad take, which one do you want first on Josh? Yeah. You, you, you I, g- g- give me, give me the good one. Give me the good. Okay. You just mentioned the record. I mean, come on, JC. Look at that winning percentage. Plays an exciting offense. Guy's a national championship quarterback at Oklahoma. He's a winner. He put up some numbers at Missouri when he was an OC there. What's not to like about Josh Heupel? And you know Danny White has a great track record of hiring good coaches. So if, if, if it's good enough for Danny White, it should be good enough for Vols Nation. Now you want the other one? Yeah. All right, here's the other one. Uh yeah, he, he had a nice record at UCF. Guess what? Scott Frost was better. Scott Frost set the table at UCF. It wasn't Josh Heupel. Uh, Josh Heupel, they, they got rid of him at Oklahoma. Something happened there. Looks like maybe they didn't, uh, they didn't get together, uh, get along real well. Maybe that was on Josh. Uh, last time I checked, I think they blew leads to Tulsa the last couple of years. So UCF was not exactly UCF for, uh, for the last season under Josh Heupel's direction. And what, what are we getting here? He's never coached a, a power five program like Tennessee. He, he's never been able to take a, a school that hasn't already been a winner and turn the thing around. This is a, this is a rebuild project. Is he ready to do something like that? I don't know. Bill O'Brien has, but can Josh Heupel do? So you see what I'm saying? I can, I can put it down the PR path either way. And, and I think it's probably going to be somewhere in the middle. I think Josh Heupel, the hire makes sense. Uh, if you think that that was their first choice, and I've got some things in my attic I'd love to sell you. Uh, I think phone calls were made to other people, and a lot of people said no. And the reason a lot of people said no is because the threat of NCAA sanctions. They didn't want to be Matt Luke in a situation like he was at at Ole Miss, which is almost unwinnable. So um, that's all I would say to that. And, and look, I, I have a load of respect for Danny White, um, but – Danny White is how many times do I have to say this? Like, oh, you mentioned Ray Tanner. I mean, there's a faction of that fan base that want to pile on every every time they lose a game and blame the AD. You think Ray Tanner doesn't know how to do a, jo- a coaching search? They're all doing the same thing. They're hiring a search firm. You go for the home run hire. If you swing and miss, then you try and find a guy who fits. And that's what these three ADs did. And I, I think you can make a, a logical case that they – they did it. They did their due diligence. They brought in qualified coaches, and now they're hoping that they all catch some breaks and it works out well. All right, Agreed. that's uh, that's enough on that. Did, did you have any thoughts on the schedules, by the way? SEC, ACC schedule. I'm just glad to see non-con games back on there. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. You know, there, there's it's. I'm wanting to see fans back in the stadium because what's even going to be more sad than than some of these non-conference games that you know because again we now have games that nobody cares about coming back uh, is games that nobody cares about 
and I say nobody, I'm just, I'm not, that's generalization. Obviously I care and we might cares and everybody, but uh, is, is those with no fans and bands and, and, and pageantry and cheerleaders and tailgating. Um, and, and I've said this many times. I didn't think I would miss that Mike, but you missed it. I missed it. By the time the season got over, I was like, this is just, and I'm sitting there looking at the, the national championship game, 10 minutes before kickoff. And you look at the crowd at, I guess it's called hard rock stadium. Now land mm-hmm. shark stadium, whatever that is right. down, uh, it's down, down, in, down, down in your old stomping grounds. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, man, this looks like the crowd two hours before kickoff. And, and this is basically the crowd and it's Alabama and Ohio state. And um, that kind of got me. So uh, I'm looking forward to all that coming back. And, uh, you know, I, I don't – it's not going to be like a, a, a one of the epic uh, week ones this time around, but but, but we do have some interesting games. Um, a huge one in Charlotte between Clemson and Alabama – I mean, Clemson and Georgia. You know, they're they're getting that group back that, – that rivalry game back together. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's obviously going to highlight, I think, uh, the first week of the season. Miami, Alabama, Ohio State, Oregon, just some of those – uh, enticing early season matchups. And of course we got the state rivalries back, you know, we, we've got yeah. Carolina Clemson, Florida, Florida state, George, George. I mean, we, we need that. Uh, really missed it last year. I, I know some people were, were hoping beyond realistic hope that we'd have a 10 game conference schedule in the sec mm-hmm. uh, folks. That's not happening anytime mm-hmm. soon. I, I do think ACC is going to the AC. I've been reading some, some, I guess it was quite frankly, it was from a Notre Dame outlet that the ACC should expand to more games or whatever. And I could see them doing it before the ACC, but I, I quite frankly think with the Notre Dame situation and it, over there and, and then playing five league games and then just the brutality of the SEC, it's, it's going to be a few years before they do that. Yeah, I, I, I think so as well. Do want to mention a proud sponsor of this podcast and that is the one, the only Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank. For years, he has saved people like myself a whole lot of money on a refi or a new mortgage. And all you have to do is make one simple phone call. He's not going to pass you off to uh, some assistant or uh, some kind of pencil pushing uh, intern. I mean, it's all him. You're going to speak to the man, the myth, the legend, Stuart Wingo, and he's going to save you thousands of dollars. There's not, I can say a million other things about him, but really, do you care? Oh, that's all you need to know. So pick up the phone and call. doesn't matter what state you're uh, using uh, or using uh, him for when it comes to a new mortgage. I've used him both in South Carolina and Atlanta. Uh, I would use him if I moved to uh, Texas or North Carolina tomorrow. His phone number is 803-319-1777, a phone number that will save you money, 803-319-1777. You might notice there's a lot of crazy things going on right now, not to mention uh, stuff that's well beyond my comprehension with GameStop and Robin Hood and all that oh, other junk. Thank goodness I'm not involved in that. Uh, and we don't know how much longer interest rates are going to be this good because uh, there's a lot of changes coming. Uh, financially, take advantage of these rates while you can. Call Stuart Wingo, 803-319-1777 today. JC, this has been a lot of fun. It's been great, Mike. Looking forward to another episode really soon. And uh, hope all of you out there that are listening enjoy it. And I'm going to tease something because I teased it on my Gamecock podcast today. There may be something in the works coming up where you guys are going to be able to hear me and maybe some other people a, a little more often. So uh, Ooh, stay I like tuned it. for all that. Yeah, I'm, should be I'm good. Ex- I'm excited already. Um, while everybody loves Tony Barnhart, the man that everybody loves to hate, Danny Cannell, will join us in two weeks' time. I know that. Uh, we'll see what we have in store for you next week. That'll do it for us. For JC, it's Mike saying so long. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll see you next time out.